Look at the Boga Honey Podcast. That's why I, I tried not to have camps on my bow. I don't have to deal with slippage or anything Shut like up. that. You just put a new string on there, you're fine. What is Boga? But seriously, that's the dumbest thing ever. It, it go, I am all about Just strap it to your pack. Really appreciate the fact that you're from Michigan and not Georgia. You don't want to be the next Mark Kenyon. No. I'm a shit show. <laughs> that's, that spot's taken. You can see how pathetic Jared's face is right now. <laughs> because that's how it looked. It was just like, is this good enough? Before we jump into this episode, we have to thank a few of our partners that help make this podcast possible. First up is First Light. Great camo, fusion, cypher. You get to pick your option, or you can go that new ash gray color. Uh, they make fantastic merino. They make great stuff for elk hunting, great stuff for hunting down south, great stuff for deer hunting by us. Uh, so we rock it all year long. We love it. Check it out, firstlight.com. If you guys are in search of a new pack, then you guys have to check out the Seek Outside Short Tail. It's designed to cover three main uses, which are the western big game hunts, it's tree sand friendly, and it's great for backpacking long trails. And it can pack out close to 200 pounds. You could carry out a Jared. You can carry out one of me if you use want. The, use the promo code BOGA, all caps, for 5% off your order. Jared's sold separately. If you're looking to get into the tree saddle game this year, then you guys need to check out Trophy Line. These guys have been around since the 1960s, and they've been doing it ever since. We're going to be rocking their Ambush Light tree saddles this year. They're lightweight, they're comfy, and they're extremely easy to use for that beginner. Head over to their website and use the promo code BOGAHUNTING10 for 10% off your order. If you're looking for a quality, handmade, top-of-the-line traditional bow, look no further than Bivouac Bow Company. Jim and Georgia there are excellent boyers, handmade, custom. They are precise and they make fantastic shooting bows. If you're looking for a great bow, check them out, bivouacbowco.com. So if you guys are like me and you find that buying new arrows can be completely cumbersome and annoying where you have to go to the bow shop and have them cut your arrows and glue in the inserts then you guys need to check out vector custom shop all of their arrows are purpose built meaning they're going to take your draw weight your draw length and a bunch of other specs that you want and they're going to actually make the arrow for you and then send it to you and they have direct to consumer prices so check these guys out vectorcustomshop.com there are a lot of good apps out there but if you're a hunter and you're looking for a do-it-all app, check out HuntWise. First of all, they have GPS software that tells you where you are, where boundaries are, if you, you can share locations. But it's also a, a community of hunters where you can all share what you're experiencing. We'll post there pretty regularly. Actually, that is where I have my only social media account. So if you want to see what's going on in my mind, go to HuntWise and check us out. All right, welcome back to another episode of the Boga Hunting Podcast. We're continuing our tree stand prep month by bringing Greg Farrell on um, from First Light. Greg, welcome to uh, the Boga Hunting Podcast. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me, guys. I appreciate it. Yeah, so you are a member of First Light. What, what's your what's your job there? Yeah, so um, I work for First Light. I've been there for almost a little over four years now, and I am the Whitetail Product Line Manager. Seems like we got the right guy on the mm-hmm. phone then talking <laughs> whitetail stand prep and we got a white. Well, how did you get end up the whitetail product line manager at, at First Light? 
Yeah, good question. I being there um, for almost four years now, I came on fairly early and like the big growth for us. So at the time I came on, we were still under, we were still in single digits of employees. Um, so everybody kind of wore, wore a few hats. I was doing some business and marketing and sales stuff originally. And then being from the Midwest, um, obviously I cut my teeth in whitetail and that was kind of always my thing. So from that point, I actually moved into the product department, doing more of the product design and some operation stuff. And then as we kind of began to expand our whitetail line um, with me already being in the product development team um, and that really being my passion, um, it made kind of made, made perfect sense. So I've been gone through a few different job titles over the last few years, but that's where I landed and couldn't be happier. Well, and you went to school for uh, uh, clothing retail design, right? I mean, I'm sure. No, I did not. (laughs) (laughs) Believe it or not. Um, no, I was a I was a science major. I did bio and chem, so not doing anything I went to school for. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'm in that boat. We're right with her with you. Yeah, yeah, same here. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So you you were at biology. You were a teacher, right, for a little while. I was. Yep, yep. That was my uh, first kind of real job, if you will, out of college. But I was always the coming from that like science and math, like very analytical. I was the guy that was always like buying gear and then cutting it apart and putting it back together and building my own stuff because I wasn't happy with what was out there. So even though I didn't go to school for that, that's, you know, since I can remember kind of always been in my blood of trying to figure out how to make stuff better, build stuff that wasn't out there for me to use for hunting. That's a handy guy to know. Mm -hmm. know, (laughs) A tinkerer. You need a tinkerer. Were you a cool uh, teacher? What what grade did you teach? I taught um, high school, mostly juniors and seniors. Yuck. Mm, Those kids are the worst. Nope. I did pretty good. Um, I, uh, yeah, I taught a couple of AP classes and I coached too. So I had a pretty good relationship with the students through like coaching sports and those upper level classes, um, are typically a little bit easier to teach in terms of like classroom management and stuff like that. So interesting. Yeah. You know, yeah. Were, were you, so you were cool. Like the kids oh, yeah. thought you were the like, coolest, kind of, of course. Yeah, of course. <laughs> so you decided you're going to be a teacher and one day you just thought, you know what? I'm going to go get into the clothing game with first light. Yeah. You know, it's interesting. I had, I was a first light fan and was wearing all the stuff in my own hunting pursuits. And I kind of stumbled upon some articles and through their website and then eventually getting to know a few people and really just like fell in love with their corporate culture. And it was like a work hard, play hard mentality. And, you know, one of those places where there's more, hunting dogs in the office at any given day than people. Yeah. That's pretty um, cool. Yeah. And just applied for a job that I was at the time underqualified for and over ambitious and <laughs> ended up, ended up somehow getting, getting the job and the rest is history. Yeah. That's pretty cool. So, yeah. but in, in the meantime, you're, you're building all this wealth of whitetail knowledge, right? So that's, I mean, that's your bread and butter type of hunt a good good whitetail hunt if like you could pick a hunt would it be like a november you know rut hunt would it be september elks like what, what's your let's what's your go-to hunt yeah 100 percent it's whitetails and honestly it's i'm the butt of a lot of the jokes at the office because i'm the guy that will give up a western hunt any day of the week to go sit in a tree stand um i mean don't get me wrong i love chasing elk in september right. and you know mealies in october but if you're gonna force me to choose one i'm gonna be i'm gonna be in a tree stand all long, so jared would you be able to do that like would you pick whitetail over like a like you know um i haven't been out west yet um i wanted to 
So I, I'm guessing if I get my feet in the water, I'm going to love it, and then I'm just going to want to split it 50-50. But for right now, 50-50. Uh, for right now, <laughs> it's whitetail, baby. It's whitetail yep. all the time. You got any big whitetail plans for this year? No. Um, other than just spotting out some spots on public land around here, um, possible Idaho elk maybe, mm-hmm. or that uh, West Virginia bear. Lots of good stuff coming. You know yeah. what's really important for your whitetail pursuits? Hmm. Entry and exit uh, strategy. That's a good <laughs> point. Oh, yeah. Wait, you ever think about that? <laughs> you know, that's that's probably one of the, the first things you got to think about. Yeah. Especially when you're looking at your own land or even public land. Yeah. How are you going to get to the stand in a strategic way, not bumping any deer, not having them wind you, and then being able to exit that stand maybe in a different direction Again, without bumping deer. Yeah, I mean that's that's the, why why it's so important, right? Right. Getting in and getting out, slipping in, slipping out without being detected, or maybe just trying to reduce it. Because I feel like no matter what, you end up blowing a deer out at some point, no matter how careful you are. Yeah. So, anyways, yeah, we've talked about this earlier in the month about entry and exit be, being pretty critical. So we found, especially I think Greg and maybe you can get agree, um, as we got older, as we hunted more, we started spending more time preparing for the entry and exit when we first started hunting together jared we i literally took the same trail in mm-hmm. same trail out just because it was already a made four-wheeler trail you know that was is the extent of the thinking that i i put behind it have you uh like greg for you i, I mean as you're going are you getting you know more and more in key uh tune with that or have you always been kind of pretty pretty thoughtful about entry and exit no i would say you know i'm i was very similar probably to to you guys i mean i grew up learning to chase whitetails from my dad and my uncle. Um, and they had a, you know, a smaller, a 60 acre parcel of land that we hunted. And, you know, they, they kind of did that. It was like, you know, we had our trails and that's how you got in. That's how you got out. And that was essentially, you know, what I learned at a young age. Um, and then as I, you know, moved away from the family land and went off to college and, you know, moved out of state for a while, um, and was primarily hunting public, you know, that's when I really started to, you know, similar to you guys, pay attention to my entry and my exit, um, not only my own entry and exit, but especially on public, you know, where the general populace was entering and exiting right. and how that affected, you know, where deer were betting, um, if they did get bumped, typically where they went and, you know, almost utilizing other people's pressure to my advantage as well. So yep. it was kind of like a, a two, a double-edged sword, you know, sword there. It's like, I had to pay attention to my own, but I also had to kind of learn what everybody else was doing on those, on those public parcels. Well, it's funny too, what, when you're forced out of like the comfort zone that you have, Mm -hmm. what you have to figure out how to do, like, and we had the same thing. We also experimented with public land in college, you know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. So, uh, like once we got out there, it was like, oh man, we have to figure out a totally new place where no one else went. And, that kind of as that grew we got more and more excited about finding these harder to get spots or you know know, i was calling jared yesterday i found a new doe bedding area i was pretty excited about um stuff that i just wasn't aware of or going after when i first started out yeah i mean i i will tell anybody any day like you know when i when i went off to college and i was lucky i got to go to school in the western part of the state western part of wisconsin which there's giants running around there but um when I went off to school, you know, at 18, I had already been hunting for, you know, myself for eight years, been in the woods with my family a lot longer than that. But I learned more in 
the first two years of doing it myself on new chunks of land that I had never stepped foot on, you know, than I did the previous right. however many years I spent in the woods before that. Yeah, that's it. That's the interesting. Yeah, it's just interesting how you it changes the way you look at it and kind of your your approach to it. Um, mm-hmm. So, Jared, why don't you start it us out? So, say you're you're looking oh, for a spot, right? And um, what's like an ideal type of entry or exit? Because they, obviously they they are not always the same. Sometimes you enter in one way, exit out another way because maybe a deer is coming through, going to bedding, or coming from uh, you know going towards food or mm-hmm. whatever. What are you looking for? What what's one of your favorite you know, in entries. Sure. To um, I can actually throw an example. I was able to hunt some commercial forest land, kind of where I live, south of uh, Grand Rapids area. And the only way that I could get into this this bedding area in between uh, a cornfield uh, was pretty much just a strip of woods in between two fields. I knew they were bedding on one side of the f- the field, or the, uh, the woods, sorry, because there was kind of just a more thicker, swampy area. Mm-hmm. But... Every time I would try to go in there, I kept bumping deer out, right? So then I pushed a little bit farther north of the area, and there was a creek there. Yep. And so I was able to get down in the creek and then slowly make my way into that bedding area without bumping anything. Right up that creek yep. bed. Why yep. do you like creek, creek beds? Um, it's, it's typically lower yep. than the rest of the terrain. Uh, so if it is, if you are there early in the morning, which you typically will be, uh, you can kind of conceal yourself down there. Yeah. The water's quiet. Down, water's wind. quieter if you're walking through. And, um, if there's any thermals going on, they'll kind of stay down in that, that lower area. So you can slip in. Yeah. Yeah. And I feel like, um, even you can pop out right out from there to your stand. Mm-hmm. You're really not spreading your scent a whole lot either. Right. Cause you're walking around. Greg, what do you look for when you're, uh, what's, what's an ideal entry point? And you cannot pick, uh, Jared's because yep. he already took that. That's taken. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Taken. Uh, um, you know, I think honestly for me, it kind of changes throughout the season. Um, but if we're picking like, you know, premier go-to, I'm thinking basically about late October, early November. Right. Um, so for me, when I'm thinking like, you know, my late October, early November, you know, late pre-rut, early rut sit, I'm really thinking about a morning spot. Um, I like to focus on those morning sits that time of year. You know, I've found in, in most of the parcels that I hunt now, both public and private, that those bucks are, you know, in, in my experience, I'm getting probably three, at least two, two to three hours of more um, hours of daylight movement in the mornings than I am the evenings. So that's kind of why I focus on those. Um, and the way I really break it down, and again, this is like, you know, dependent on the parcel, but for me, you know, I'm always looking at this giant map of, you know, if there is ag, where is the ag? Because right. I know, you know, the ag's the end of the movement. So that's where they're spending. And when I say end of movement, I'm thinking like that's where they're spending their time when it's dark. Um, and then I kind of work it back. So if I find the ag in this area, um, I know they're there during the dark. Um, I know they're going to be coming from that. Hopefully the food that's on my property is kind of like their last place they eat before they go to bed. So if I have that, that's great. Um, if not, I'm still coming back towards myself and thinking like, okay, from ag, you know, then where's the doe bedding areas, um, in there, um, knowing that the does are going to bed closer to food than the bucks. So, you know, then move back and that's my buck bedding area. 
And then once I've kind of established what that buck bedding area is, you know, I'm looking for a way that I can get into the backside of that. So really the backside of that deer movement, um, you know, hopefully through some type of area that is a non deer area. So maybe yeah. it's a clear cut, maybe it's an ag field, maybe it's a pasture. Some sort of like dead there. zone. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. So get in there on that backside of buck bedding, you know, nice and early, you know, if it's, if it's low to your point, something that I can use the thermals to my advantage, um, something that's quiet is great. You know, I'm thinking about scent, I'm thinking about sound, I'm thinking about sight. And then, yeah, like I said, get in there on that backside of that buck bedding, knowing that, you know, bucks are going to be coming back that way. Um, and even if I don't see them before they bed, you know, typically they're going to be moving the outskirts of that, that bedding during daylight hours when they do get up to relocate or when they do get up to scent check does so that, you know, if I can, if I can somehow come up with all of those things in you know, one spot, that's definitely going to be what I'm looking for. And then, you know, kind of the last thing is hopefully if I can find that I'm probably hanging two or three sets all around that. So that regardless of the wind direction, um, I can still get into that area and not be limited if I, if I can hunt it or not. Yeah. No, that's exactly right. Try to find a spot where you're not going to blow them up going in, even with scent. Like I've got, I'm just, I'm just pulling up a spot here. I've got a spot I found off of ag um, that is a definite doe bedding area, right? And it's mm -hmm. in a marshy, swampy pond that I usually can get a kayak down. And so my thought for this one is kayak is like a great, great way to sneak in. Um, you know, super quiet. You're not laying down any scent. Usually it keeps other guys out because like not everybody is willing to, to grab a kayak and go hunt the backside of something. Um, and it's super heavily, you know, it's dense up until that point. So you're, I mean, it's a tough, it's tough sledding getting through kayaking in, but oh, yeah. you know, I'm just showing Jared, it's a, it's a, it's a long kayak ride, but you know, 45 minutes of a kayak, if you're, you know, hopping in the back of a bed area, uh, a doe bedding area where bucks are going to be cruising through. I mean, that could be. That is an exciting spot. Bubble butt bingo. Bingo. So, yeah, yeah I mean, it's, it's all it, – I, I feel like a lot of this starts with aerial maps. So things like HuntWise mm -hmm. that we use where it's, you know, you can look at landowner boundaries and things like that, but you can also look at, you know, features. So what, what's there? Is this a ridge? You know, is this some sort of ravine that I can walk up? Right. Um, something that conceals me and allows me to just slip in the back, just like you said. Yeah, I mean, I, that's always where I start, those aerials, because you can learn a lot, not only from, you know, what's there in terms of food, cover, travel corridors, but what I found to be super helpful, too, is, you know, if you look at that aerial, you can kind of tell what those landowners are doing with it. Yeah. You know, if it's a hunting property, if it's an ag-only property, you know, if it's a, a general rec property, and you combine that with just then taking a drive around there, and like we talked about earlier... You know, most people aren't thinking about entry and exit the way we're talking about it now. So if I can kind of suss that out based off how the, a neighbor's property A looks and B, how they utilize it, that tells me a lot about how deer are going to move through my chunk too. Yep, exactly. You can kind of pin down exactly where they're going to be and, and kind of adjust accordingly. Yeah, yep. And we've talked, I mean, water and creek beds and ditches and things like that, but things like standing crops like i right. use corn like a cornfield at certain times of the day where i can sneak right in um we did that with actually in wisconsin mark mm -hmm. and i last year or you know i've seen saplings like uh, a clear uh, fresh clear cut so maybe two yep. years after 
you can get in pretty quietly if you make a path or kind of get prepared ahead of time to sneak in and use that as wind cover and um like obviously they can't see you very well either yeah especially if you get a little bit of wind you know in a standing cornfield it's loud when you're down in there so you know if it's if the corn's tall enough to conceal you and there's enough wind to conceal your noise i mean i've not unknowingly you know walked up on deer in that exact scenario um if you got the wind in your right direction and um they can't see you because they just don't know you're there there's so much movement so much sound Mm -hmm. i've had that too where you just sneak right up and lots of times it's on accident all of a sudden there's a deer right in front of you right you see it's ear flick or something and usually if i miss it it means i'm walking in too fast and not really paying (laughs) attention but you know sometimes you're just trying to get to your sometimes i find like man on a mission i'm just i get out of the car i go pretty fast though Uh, when when i get out i'm like i got to get to my stand as quickly as possible so i'm speed walking and sometimes that's when you make uh make some or you're on a buck run Oh, you're on a bu- Actually, Jared, that's a good point. We've talked about it on the podcast a little bit, but Jared's patented buck run is a great way to get to your stand. Yeah. So this past year in Wisconsin, I'll tell the story again for everyone listening. Um, I had already shot my buck, and I was kind of doing some scouting for James uh, so that you know if he and came up skunked that day or that morning, we Which would have I a did. second spot for him to come to. Yeah. Um, but what I decided to do is jog out to my waypoint that I had on my map. So I'm jogging through the woods, breaking down sticks, making a ruckus, but I would give out a couple grunt calls every so often. Yeah. Acting like just a ruddy buck running through the woods. And it actually worked. There was actually deer that came looking um, in our general direction about 15, 20 minutes later after that. So I was pretty impressed and I'm, I'm hooked and I've patented it. It was a unique, I I feel like that's a unique way to do it, but it's not a bad way. If you think about why, you know why it is yep and of course i would probably never do this during gun season right you're getting yeah. shot. <laughs> no, i'm getting i'm right. getting shot. <laughs> i'm doing this on a place that hopefully i know it was bow season yeah who's there and i'm not gonna run into any other orange out there yeah well you i mean it's you'd really there's sometimes you have to get creative and you know creative goes definitely beyond just simply getting a kayak and, and taking it out although that's mm-hmm. some cr- more creative than a lot of guys i mean sometimes you do things like you know, I've been dropped off by a four-wheeler. Like, the the, yeah. um, the deer are used to seeing this four-wheeler come down these trails on these field edges or whatever. Mm-hmm. I'm just like, hey, you know, Laura, drop me off quick. I'll hop out and then drive home and then pick me up at dark. They, she would clear the deer in the field. I can hop out and in and not have to worry about, like, they're just getting cleared out by the four-wheeler, not by right. the fact that I'm actually out there hunting. Yeah, and those little things, I mean, I've found, I've done, you know, used a lot of those tricks too. Those little things go you know, a long way. I've even utilized, you know, I think this, I think it's kind of the same. Like you look at like, say a kayak or even a bike, Yeah, you know, like a deer awesome. reacts to you a lot differently, you know, as you're moving past them, you know, or next to them or whatever on an implement like that than they do if you're just walking. Yeah. Yep. So any of those little tricks, I mean, I've had same as you guys, I've had buddies, you know, drive their truck up to the base of the stand. Yep. To, you know, same thing to clear deer out of the, the, the food plots or just to pick me up because they're kind of used to it and yeah, they'll booger out of there, but they're going to be back 15 minutes after you come out of there versus if you walk through there and blow them out, you know, the chance of that happening are much less. I heard somebody compare deer being bumped to you being scared, like in an alley. 
And it was like, what would scare you in an alley? Would a guy walking past or like, you know, a little girl walking past who's totally harmless freak you out? And the more like ominous that person seemed, if they're, you know, big and, you know, got a gun or whatever, all of a sudden you're like really freaked out and you'll never go down that alley again. And they said like yeah. deer are the same way. Like you could bump them out. And depending on uh, how quickly how quickly they come back depends really on like the nature of the disturbance. So mm-hmm. if it's like a four wheeler that they're used to hearing, they're like, "Oh, no big deal. I'll come back in a little bit." But if it's you prowling around to the woods, slow, uh, slow sneaking. So actually, that's it. it. Around us, we have the North Country Scenic National Scenic Trail. That's it. Yeah. Um, I think yep. it actually goes to. Uh, does it go to Minnesota through all the way? Over? I know it goes from here. Like from New York way, to Minnesota, there's yeah. a song. Yeah. Uh, so what I've done in the past too is just I've tried sneaking in and I've seen deer bust out of there like trying to sneak up on them. Uh, but walking in on the person like the walker trail, I've had this yep. too when we um, were at the Macatow place. Oh, yeah. yep. People walking down the trails, they just they'll, they'll wait. I mean, they're not gonna like walk, keep walking. They'll watch you, but they'll let you walk right past, and they'll they're so used to that kind of disturbance that it's not a big deal at all. Yeah, it's it's so funny how, you know, they get accustomed to those certain movements in certain places. We used to I used to use that strategy quite a bit, um, even out west for mule deer, pretty close to where the office is, you know, obviously different scenario, but um similar outcome. You know, there's a lot of public hiking trails that yep. you can utilize to access um public hunting ground. And, you know, same thing. It's like deer are so used to seeing people on those trails that you can almost walk right by them. Yeah. Um, and I started accessing a lot of my ground that way versus trying to go in, you know, right away and be hunting is like, it's a little longer walk, but you can almost scout and find deer on the way in right. that could care less if you're there. Yeah, exactly. And it's, it's really, it's not like deer are super smart in that they're like working all this out. Like mm-hmm. that guy's not, you know, yep. they're, they're just conditioned a certain way exactly you know and so another great example is how you walk out the way that you walk out and the sound that you make is Mm -hmm. is hugely important if you you walk just like a guy in the normal cadence of a guy sneaking through the woods it's very different than if you can stagger your steps like a four like heel heel toe toe, heel heel, toe so you sound like you've got four legs i've seen that make a huge difference where you can kind of you can get a lot closer and they'll put up with a lot of sound just because they kind of assume it's fine. It's another deer. It sounds just like it. Yeah. Especially once it gets, I've found, especially once it gets really dark, I got a buddy that I hunt with the majority of my whitetail hunting. I do with, with one of my buddies and anytime we can, as long as, you know, it's applicable to the wind direction and, you know, whether we're a morning or an evening sit X, Y, and Z, we'll try and meet up and walk out together yeah. and we'll walk real close to each other. Kind of, you know, same idea. It's, you know, that's two sets of human prints versus just one and we found that to be pretty successful in limiting the amount of deer we bump as well yeah you know i'm used to that too like jared always asked me to walk him out to his stand i think he's just <laughs> afraid of the dark uh yeah so i i think you're just afraid of the dark i, I don't know <laughs> but i'm willing I like, to do it you know i like a team player i like bringing along the little girl <laughs> so that That's the deer right. don't get bumped. like look at that guy he's got a recurve he's just here <laughs> he's just here for show it's just a that guy's not deadly yeah. No, what a good friend. Yeah. You know, Thank whatever you. it takes. Whatever it takes. <laughs> no, that's that's interesting. You know, uh, another interesting way I've heard uh, about people getting out quietly or, or doing it effectively was waiting for the sun to come up. Mm. Have you ever done that? Before I go out? Yeah. Have you ever just like wa- on purpose waited for the no, sun no. to come up? No, not on purpose. Uh, it reminds me of the turkey hunt this year where we, <laughs> well, all of a sudden Jared's like, hey, 
dude, we slept in. I'm like, crap. We <laughs> grabbed our stuff. I was out hunting in Crocs. Yeah, you were. That was it a was cold, cold morning. morning, man. My feet were cold, but I learned a valuable lesson. I bet we were out the door in two minutes. Two minutes. Like, I was sleeping on the most clothes. of my camo on. Yeah, that was a... Uh, that was a rough go. I remember just sitting down and blind. I'm like, holy God. <laughs> there's a there's a bogus tip for you. If you if you're worried about sleeping in, just go to sleep with all your hunting clothes on. So if mm-hmm. you do, you can hop up, get right back out. Or be responsible and set your alarm. I got you know <laughs> what the problem was? It was AM and PM. I had it like five or whatever AM. See, you wouldn't have that problem if you just switch your phone over to twenty four hour clock. I know. You'll never get mixed up again. I did try that for a little while, but I, it takes me too long to figure out what time it is. You'll get the hang of it pretty quick. I, okay, it's I'll, awesome. I'll try it again just so I don't have to have that issue of freezing my toes off. Mm-hmm. Pain retains. Okay, I gotta ask you: Did you uh, did you engage the four wheel drive on your Crocs since so, you're hunting oh, in them? Well, put the so, strap down. Oh, I know the four wheel. Dri- so here's the thing: <laughs> sporty, I, sporty mode. I sporty mode. Yeah, I I <laughs> did have the uh, Crocs. These are a step up from the Crocs. Mm-hmm. I don't. The, are there, I think they're Vivo barefoot. They're Crocs, but they have like they're Crocs. The, like the I could Gucci go for, Crocs. I could go for a, a jog in them, and yeah. I'd be fine. Yeah, you could. So I mean, these are all-purpose, all-terrain, fully engaged, full torque Crocs. Oh, you were slipping a couple times going up that hill. Though. <laughs> I did. Those are the old <laughs> versions, though. I didn't have my new red ones yet. I know you didn't. So yeah, no, that's uh. So anyways, like some guys wait till for for sunup because this is Joe did this all the time. He'd mm-hmm. go hunting from like nine till like one and he's like oh i could sneak out there a lot easier because every first of all everybody's coming in so the woods are disturbed anyways and second he's like i can see where i'm going i don't have to use a flashlight i can sneak right up and and it's not a problem so i mean there's a lot of ways to to do it where you know you have to be a little creative try new things but you can find like a little niche Mm -hmm. system that works for you yeah and i think so much of that is dependent on you know, are you hunting a, you know, a public parcel that's got a ton of pressure? Yeah. You know, is it, is it your own private chunk where you can control the pressure and you, you know, you really know where deer are feeding, where they're bedding, yeah. what travel routes they're using. You know, I think all that, there's not uh, a silver bullet solution, right? It, you got to take kind of all these things into account. Yeah. Well, and that's huge. I mean, even if you're you head out and you're you have to be a little um you have to be flexible because something might change i try to like prepare for that and bring a like a bunch of stuff when i'm heading out so like i'll have hip boots you know with me sometimes i'll have my inflatable kayak in the car with me so like if i get out there and something changes i'm able to adjust pretty quick you'll even uh bring me some candy when you sit me down to the stand. The yeah well floor. yeah and yeah like a little night light a little battery power light gotta play with salt at my time <laughs> Yeah. So I, it, that's huge. I mean, another thing is you, you walk a far ways. And so the clothes that you wear, the gear that you use is super important. Like, is it, you know, are you able to shed heat mm-hmm. as you're walking around? Yeah. That's a big, right. It's a big thing to, to address. Cause you do not want to walk out, get your clothes all damp and sweaty. Yeah. And then you're sitting there and sub free, I mean, 30 yeah. degree with the wind kicking up. It, it's just not no bueno. Well, you know? and it's like most of the time, I feel like the entry and exit, the best ones are the farther walks. Yeah. So like something that, you know, like first light is great for this. I mean, merino wool against you, you're able to pack, you know, a puffy in your coat, your, your backpack mm-hmm. or whatever. Um, and so you can walk out pretty light, pretty scent free and not get just absolutely soaking wet. Like we did when we used to work cotton and army fatigues oh, when we first awful. used to go hunting. <laughs> 
You've been there. Oh, yeah. yeah. I, I mean, feel like you have to cut your teeth that way a little bit. I mean, I have. Yeah. Like, when I was it's out. It's a rite of passage. Yeah. When I was out uh, in like Baldwin area yeah. last time we were up there, walked out in my boxers. I remember those. It was 70 degrees. I'm like, I'm not going to go walk a mile into the woods no. with all this camel on right now. So I hiked out my climber at the time and. Yeah, I had four-wheelers driving by, and they were like, what in the heck is this idiot doing? That was right on the verge for us when we were kind of switching to be more technical with our approach to gear. Mm -hmm. Like, I feel like that was at that time we were just making it work and kind of dealing with walking out on your undies, you know. Uh, whereas now you can get – there's, I mean, there's also a ton more things available that, that make something like that, like, way more doable. Like an e-bike? That would like have helped e a lot. That would have been really nice. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Or even a scooter, something <laughs> on the dirt road. <laughs> no, no. So I was hunting in uh, uh, the Makatawa. Oh yeah, those park. are all paved. That would have been. It's real all nice. paved. If I would have taken one of those Razor scooters, I could have flipped it right in my backpack <laughs> when I wanted to go spray in. paint it up a little bit. Yeah, oh yeah, and just scooter out with it. And I, I, I thought of it on the walk back, like I would be back by now if I didn't have, you just know, if I could scootin'. just have my scooter. That would have been uh, key for in Wisconsin, too. There was those paved paths. There were paths through there. Yeah, that was really an interesting place. Uh, mm -hmm. Wisconsin's awesome, by the way. We're, we're big fans of your home state. It's a, it's a fun state to chase deer in, that's for sure. It's like Michigan, but with better deer. Yeah. And the Driftless area is like, unlike any, really mm -hmm. any part of Michigan. Well, and that's, you know, that's like I was mentioning earlier. I went to school there and still do quite a bit of hunting in that part of the state because the way the topography plays out there. Um, so for those, you know, listeners that don't know the Driftless areas, you know, the portion of the state where the glaciers didn't go through. So there's a lot more topography. And what ends up happening is because you have, you know, a mix of ag land and these steeper bluffs and woodlots, you almost end up with this per perfect ratio of mm -hmm. food to cover and bedding because it can't all be farmed because of how steep some yeah. of it is. Yep. So it just sets up to be, you know, kind of whitetail heaven uh, in that whole western portion of the state. I know some of those steep slopes. You do. We yeah. we, we know them intimately. <laughs> mm -hmm. Like I I have. There's one spot where I left my blood, sweat, and tears. And tears. All in one spot. <laughs> that was a a good night though. Yeah, it was. I still look at I when I'm. I've told you this before. When I'm having a long day, sometimes I'll daydream about that that death hike out. <laughs> that was the worst. <laughs> but you know, it's cool too about that topography is that it, there's a lot of cool funnels uh, mm -hmm. where it's like you know there's only one way for a deer to go although we when we were there we'd find these uh whatever that str that river was that ran through it um these deer would like hop down did you remember that they'd get like yeah. on, like a little foot wide ledge that would go further in you know and down and they'd sneak around like crazy down there mm -hmm. you know, tons of draw tons of trails that i never mm -hmm. would have thought deer would get down and do that yeah, they get they get creative, but it's it does add a whole nother element to being able to scout, in my opinion, properties that you have never laid foot on before. Yeah, uh, because that you know, to your point, that topography really just—I mean, you almost you almost scout it like you do out west a little bit. Yeah, um, and understanding how that topography influences deer movement, you know, where the funnels are, where the saddles are, you know, and how that interplays with you know, their movement from bedding to feeding. Um, I've had some really awesome hunts the first time I ever stepped foot on a property, just scouting it that way. Yeah. So it definitely adds an element of knowledge that you can kind of play off of, you know, especially for you guys, if you're you know going to a spot where you're hunting out of state, yeah. it's a lot of fun to be able to, to use that in your scouting. Well, we, 
I don't know. For some reason, we ended up really liking hunting that way. Mm-hmm. Where it's like, yeah. this is a place we've never been. We're going to look at maps for a while, make a plan, and then just get there and figure it out. Yeah. And most of the time you get there and it's a little different or a lot different. Mm-hmm. Especially the spots that you've picked out on the map. Yeah. Sometimes they're yep. like, yes, this is it. I'm going to shoot a buck here. Yep. And you get there. Opening morning. Th- I mean, there's <laughs> no sign anywhere to be seen. It's like, well, this is stupid. I can see a trail right over there. And right. people are dicking around right there. It's like, all right, next spot. Yep. And we ended up um, just really starting to hammer down on just hunting fresh sign whenever we get to these new spots. Because like yep. I said, you can you can have that best spot that looks awesome, but there's no deer ripping through there. Yeah. So you just got to. We found that you just got to hunt the fresh sign. Well, it's like we were talking with Mark Kenyon the other day. I mean, you have to just be flexible. Like yeah. if you have a flexible, mobile mindset, and that's why some things like tree saddles and, you know, really great gear and nice backpacks and all that makes it a lot easier to be not so locked in. Because there was a period of time where we're hauling those climbers out that are like oh, 30 pounds. Sucked. You know, we have all cotton clothing. And it's like, no, I, I got all the way out here. I'm just doing the spot because it took me freaking forever <laughs> to get out here. And I sweated through everything, you know. It's It goes back to the simple saying. It's like, don't leave deer to find deer, right? Like, if you yep, find yourself yep. halfway into the spot that you thought was going to be dynamite, but you're already in great sign and it just looks like, you know, an incredible spot. It's like, why would you walk the rest of the way to potentially end up in one of these dead zones, you know, if you're already there? Yeah, mm-hmm, but exactly. I've, I've learned that lesson the hard way, too. It's like, you get so we put all this time into the the scouting ahead of time and we get so married to these ideas or spots where it's like, well, it's okay if it, if it isn't exactly that and you happen to stumble upon a different one on the way there. See, I have a hard time with that. What? Stopping. When we're out in a <laughs> yeah, new place, do. all of a sudden I'm like, well, but what if, what about what's over there? Mm-hmm. You know, like, yeah. you're, and Jared's always like, dude, there's everything. You, this is like the perfect spot. Like sit down. But I think there's something. Just there's more. gold in them. There hills up there, you know. <laughs> like, there's something good up there that I've never seen before. The allure of the unknown. Yeah, yep. and that's kind of the what I feel. Just another big debate is when you are tree stand hunting and you found that good spot, like you are glued there. Yep. For the rest of the hunt, it's not like an out west hunt where you can just kind of you know hop to that next ridge in glass or yep. you know move around. And I feel like when you stumble upon fresh sign you've got a higher percentage chance of killing an animal at that spot. Yeah. If you moved into another spot, I mean, it brings it back down to 50-50. Yeah. You either could see a deer or there's going to be no sign there. Right. You know what I mean? And then everything else that adds up on top of there, well, your scent control, right, playing right. the wind, all these little things all add up. Per- game of percentages. Yep. Yeah. So if you introduce another factor of, well, maybe this would work out over there, yeah. That's just not my play. Yeah, I'm going to hunt the it's, sign. If you're looking at the numbers, that's totally – I mean, that's rationally – I'm a numbers guy. Apparently, I just, you are. an epiphany. You are. <laughs> you're pure, your reason will prevail, you know, when you're making – Reason will prevail and hunt the sign. See, for, for me, I, I know I need to. I've gotten better at it with Jared's help and his guidance. <laughs> Master. Yeah, but – it's still hard for me to like, even when I'm in the tree, I'm always wondering like what there could be, like there could be a buck right over there and I would never know. You never, never know. Checked it out. There could be even more sign. Hunted the next day. Yeah, that's right. So well, that is a, that is a huge benefit um, to, you know, kind of where I see the industry going both with whether it's, you know, ultralight stands and sticks or saddles. And then you start talking about gear. And as you start stacking all these cards in your favor, no, yeah, you're right. With a 
whitetail setup, you're a little more tied to where you're set up right. than a Western setup. But yeah. all of these, all of these things, you know, even I would say most arguably your, your clothing system allows you to kind of be a little bit more mobile than we've ever been able to be as whitetail hunters. Right. Absolutely. Um, and, and not be so married to a specific tree or a specific area, you know, just be ready to pivot and kind of go with the flow as you learn things. And, um, you know, as you are, whether you're sitting there and you're observing deer moving, you know, hundred yards away from you in a way you didn't expect, or on your way in, if you have to go a little further than you thought, or, you know, maybe stopping at that good spot on the way in and then pivoting for the afternoon and moving the, the technical side of whitetail hunting is definitely changing. And I think it's making it easier to be a little more flexible in how we hunt. Yeah. That's that, like, that's such a interesting thing that's been happening mm-hmm. relatively recently because it makes it the hunt go better, but it also makes it more fun. Like it's, it's not fun when you're sweaty and you've got swamp feet and you're, then it's cold and you're tired from carrying all your heavy stuff like it's just not as enjoyable or great example this weekend i went scouting and i ran uh, i was wearing those brush first light brush pants mm-hmm. yep and i didn't get normally i get prickers we call them or briars or whatever else what are, what are the other stickers no stickers Pe- people on the podcast have called them a whole manner we've of called them out for saying the wrong thing but i get pricked by them <laughs> and i get these huge welts because i feel like my skin's like a little allergic to them so my legs are all just red really Oh, whenever I get, they're just like, they look like I'm bleeding right under my skin. I don't know. Like if the I big ones that just rip at you. Any of them. There's, there's some nasty ones, but there's, there's other ones that are just kind of like, oh, okay. I can brush through that. No, these, I am, I'm a sensitive guy. You knew it. And, but, but anyways, the other day I wore these brush pants out. I literally didn't get stuck. Like I was gliding through them like a hot knife through butter. <laughs> gliding those through things, them. those things have become like my, uh, my workhorse. Right. You know, it's not, it's a. It's definitely not as applicable for an actual like whitetail hunting pant. Right. But man, like in terms of everything I do off season, yep. um, to your point, like prep wise, scouting, et cetera, that is my, that's my go-to. Well, even like first week or two of October, I'm going to find myself in a pricker bush mm-hmm. at one point hunting. Yeah. You know, yeah. find them or they'll find uh, you. I, I just have a knack for, for getting into the prickers. So especially like that time of year, I'll probably wear them. This year in October, first part for sure, mm-hmm. and then switch over. But yeah, gear gear's huge. I mean, the lightness, the uh, the breathability, like the 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 introduction of merino wool has been huge, huge, huge. Yeah, I mean, and, and I think that's something that is even it's going to continue to grow. I think both in the industry, but obviously on the first light side of things, you know, that's the merino wool is our bread and butter. It's what our company was founded on, and the how applicable it is to white i mean i couldn't design a better material for the whitetail guy right mm-hmm. like we are so sensitive to scent as we need to be mm-hmm. well where does scent come from scent comes from moisture and bacteria building up you know and and merino wool naturally does all of that so you don't have to worry about some type of topical treatment that was applied to your garment that washes off eventually yep or, you know, you have to recharge it or, you know, there's a lot of voodoo and the recharging and, charging stuff is yeah. a little, yeah, a little exactly. It's like, okay, you have a natural material that does everything you want it to do. It's quiet. It resists moisture and scent or uh, bacteria and scent. It doesn't uh, shine. It's a, exactly. There's no UV brighteners. It doesn't shine. It's like, you couldn't, you really couldn't design a, um, or engineer a better material for a whitetail system than that. Yeah, and I, 
I feel like that's the big thing. That's the big push is I've talked to many people about merino wool. And some people have no idea what it is. Yeah. You know? Mm-hmm. It's like, no, especially my dad. He says, nope, polypropylene is the best best material you can use. Yeah, yeah. I'm like, you're an idiot. <laughs> here's here's some merino wool. Try that on. And he has been blown away Yeah, at the the insulation factors you're talking about. It's like, yeah, I wasn't stinking at all. Yeah. I'm like, I know. Just listen Listen exactly. to me. I have some Jared wisdom. Yes. So I feel that if more whitetail hunters knew about this stuff, they would be more prone to wearing it. The, the ch- a great example is that Chama hoodie you guys used to make, which is now called the... Klamath? Kla- the, no. The Kiln hoodie. The That's Kiln. It. So that, that thing I wore forever. And for most of the year, I would, would, ma- I would wear that and maybe I would put... Uh, a thin merino underneath it mm-hmm. but it mm-hmm. got me through 70 percent of the year yeah just because it, it was so thin and so warm but it would also i could walk around and never got never got overheated yeah and you know i get it like i think unless until you have an experience with it it's a hard it's a hard material to understand mm-hmm. because i think when most people hear wool you think of grandpa's itchy sweater yeah and that doesn't translate you know to me or, you know, to anybody that hasn't used it as something that you would use for a high performance hunting gear. But when you go back to, you know, what it actually is. So merino wool comes from merino sheep. Merino sheep live at extremely high altitudes that it's, you know, 90 degrees in the summer and it's zero degrees in the winter. Yep. So, the you know, the, the animal that this textile comes from, the the material itself is really designed to work across those whole, you know, that whole spectrum of temperatures. And when you, when you explain this to somebody like, yeah, right. Like how is something going to keep me cool when I'm too hot, you know, and then also keep me warm when I'm too cold. Mm-hmm. It's magical and, fabric. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's, that's what it sounds like. Right. Um, but until you actually use it and you start experiencing that, like, you know, you're saying your dad did, um, that's when the light bulb really goes off for people. Um, and that's when, you know, we, that's when you can start having those conversations mm-hmm. and then talking about, okay, well, where else is this applicable in my system? How else can I be using this, this material you know, in, in terms of layering yeah. pieces? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Socks, underwear, I, long, yep. long I mean, gyms. And you don't need to wash it. Like you no. can do a whole week in it and, and you really not have any smell. I feel like Merino of uh, the Merino sheep or Merino wool to the hunting world is the same thing that a pig is to people that like to eat. Cause like out of a pig, you get bacon, you get ribs, you get all these pork chops. Like this one magical animal can do all these amazing things. All you do is have to do is feed it apples and except, all this good stuff comes except out. Except if you're Jewish. Yeah, exactly. Then can't it won't eat, play. Can't eat that. But Merino wool is the same way. I feel like, Oh, it'll keep you warm when it's cold and keep you cold when it's warm. You know, uh, it seems too good to be true, but it's true. It is. We used to, um, we used to do this. Uh, we had a sales rep um, back when we had sales reps when I first started. And he had, I mean, it's kind of disgusting, but he had this whole, like his pitch on Marino was when he was doing these sales presentations, he would pass around a pair of boxers, you know, that, <laughs> Hey, check this out. This is Marino wool. And then after everybody proceeded to handle these things and whatever, he would tell people that he wore them on his trip there and that's a bold it. move. Yeah, exactly. But, you know, I think it art the, of the deal. The message Actually, the there, the yeah, exactly. The message there is true. It's like you, you know, once you experience it, whether it's as a base layer t-shirt or a pair of boxers or 
um, and you, you, you notice those performance um, features, that's when uh, people really get fired up about it. And I agree with you guys. It's such a game changer for, for my system and how I hunt whitetails compared to what I used to wear. Exactly. And, and, you know, going back to the entry exit, I mean, you're walking a long ways, you're going to get wet, you're going to get, you know, whatever, go through some crappy stuff. Just having the right gear is, is huge. And, and to be able, a big part is to be able to just have breathable clothes. Are you, this year, though, I will say when it comes to gear, I'm adding hip boots. Are you? Yeah. I've been going knee boots forever, um, but I want to do hip. I'm adding them. I can throw it right in my uh, hip waders. Like hip waders. So okay. They go right up to your, your crotchal region. Mm-hmm. And um, I feel like there's been some spots where I would have just gone right through if I had those. So you're ready to get up to water, so it's just, just barely lapping at it. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. All right. I, I don't know. I I feel like they're a lot lighter than the whole waiters, like any waiters that are reasonably priced that you can find yeah, right yeah, now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they're they weren't that expensive. I don't know. It's just a try. Um, they do need to make some some good like bow hunting style waiters, something mm-hmm. that's like pretty lightweight uh, that folds up well that you can use to get into your stand. That would be nice. I've definitely done that before. I don't, my, some of the chunks I hunt now don't have as much use for that, but I think it's just one of those things, right? Like we were talking percentages and stacking the numbers in your favor earlier. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And as you, I've found that as you add barriers to entry to your spots, and I'm talking about barriers to entry for people, yeah. those percentages just go up, right? So like what percentage of people are going to carry a kayak in their truck or exactly. hip boots in their truck, right? Like every time that number goes down, that's something I look at as like, okay, that's where I want to go in. The yeah. harder it is or the more barriers to entry, like typically you end up with better hunts and you come into contact with less people and less pressure. And it's more know, of a same pure experience. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. It, and if you're willing to put in that work, it typically pays off. Yeah. And you, the, I found that the more that you do something where people are like, you're, you'd be crazy to do that. Is, I'm in. Then I'm in. Cause that's more likely yep. that no other person's like, I mean, you walk, even if you walk a simple mile out to your stand, that weeds out so many people that are just unwilling to. There's a spot that I hunt that it's literally one straight trail for a mile, right? And then I kind of cut back in and stuff. But the amount of sign that drops off as you get like a quarter of the mile, then a half mile, then three quarters, it just gets smaller and smaller because people are like, I'm not going to go all the way out there, not only to go try to shoot a deer, but then try to figure out a way to get it back after i'm <laughs> successful because a lot of people are like they do that that calculation in their head and they're like nope I, i'm i'll stick closer to the truck i'll take my chances closer by mm-hmm. yeah i i agree anytime especially on public stuff anytime i can you know utilize that distance to my advantage of those barriers to entry i'm gonna stack them in my favor yep i always say it's uh when you when you do kill something and it's hard to get it out like that's a good problem to have right it matters a exactly. whole lot less then because that's a problem you want to have well, and you guys can't quarter them by you by you because of the, the CWD. CWD, right? You got to bring that whole spinal column out. Correct. Yep. So what I've been doing, yeah. So what I do in those since, uh, situations is I keep a, I keep like a cheap plastic, um, like kids snow sled in my truck all year. Yep. Um, and if I do kill something, I'll do the double trip. So I'll come out, dump most of my gear, you know, my bow, whatever, and then go back in with the sled. Um, and pull them out that way. Yeah, that's a good way to do mm-hmm. it. What I've done in the past, actually speaking of sled, just a little tip. I used to have to pull D, my daughter, on a sled in the winter. It makes it 10 times easier if you hook it to your frame of your backpack rather than carry it with your arms. 
Yeah. Then you can kind of pump with both your arms, and you can get. It's a lot easier that way. Little little tip for you. I like yeah. that idea. Yeah, the the sled, but with hooked to your backpack frame. Hot sled tip. Hot sled tip, coming at you fast. So, <laughs> yeah. So can we do that here? Do we have to take the spine out here? Uh in some core areas, some, I think you just have to get it tested. Yeah, some counties require it. Yep. We got some messages about that because there's a video of you carrying out your other buck from this year, and somebody's like, "Well, hey, you you need the spine for the." So, yeah, people keep us honest. That's for sure. All right. So, Greg, I mean, we're coming up on time. Um, but before we go, I want to hear about what your plans are for 2020. Like, uh, you got big hunts coming up. You know, what what does that look, year look like for you? Yeah, this is a it's a pretty big uh, whitetail year for myself and the company. On the company side of things, I can't say too much and keep my job, but I will mm-hmm. say, uh, stay tuned. There's some. If you're into hunting whitetails and you know of First Light, um, you will not oh. be disappointed this year. Um, so yeah, stay tuned for for some of that stuff. Um, but with that being said, yeah, I'm gonna I'll be heading to Kentucky in September. Oh, nice! They have that early. Um, Are they still in velvet yep. down there then? That's the goal. I have, oh, baby! Yeah, try and try and kill a, a whitetail buck in velvet. So that'll be the goal for September, um, and then I'll come back to wisconsin and hunt our opener on a couple of my properties that opening weekend is actually my favorite time to hunt so i'll do that october will largely be um, kind of the western portion of wisconsin yeah uh, my properties over there um, especially into the i've had really good luck um, on a few of my properties there hunting water holes um, ah, in like nice. the october lull and then i'm headed to kansas for the November rut there, which I'm fired up Ooh, about here in Kansas this year. That'd be a lot yeah. of fun. Yeah. So we should have hit up, hit him up when we went to Western Wisconsin. We would need to do all that public land hunting. It would have been a whole lot easier. <laughs> <laughs> it's a four wheeler. I know. Let me know next time you guys are here. <laughs> well, Hey man, thanks for coming on. Uh, for, for people who are interested, check first light out. Amazing gear we wear it and highly recommend it. So, Greg, thanks again for coming on. Uh, and for people who want to know more, where, where can they get in touch with you? Yeah, I mean, I would say, uh, you know, anything First Light related, reach out. Uh, we have a fully staffed customer service team, um, all of which are hunters, about half of which are whitetail-specific hunters. So you'll never get a answering machine if you call us. Um, you're going to get a human and they'll put you in touch with who you need to talk to. Yep. Um, so anything first light, just go on the website and shoot us a message or give us a call. And then as far as me, I stay pretty low profile on, on the whole social media. You really do. You don't post very much. No, I don't. But, um, again, if you need to get a hold of me for anything, uh, first light or whitetail related, if you just go through our general, um, at info, I get directed any of the specific inquiries or questions, um, or people looking for me. So that's probably the best way to get a hold of me. Right. Well, hey, man, thanks for coming on. We'll uh, talk to you soon. All right. Thanks for having me, guys. I appreciate it. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Boga Hunting Podcast. If you guys like what you hear and want to follow along on what we're currently up to, hit that subscribe button on whatever platform you're listening on and follow us on Instagram at Boga Hunting. Join us next week, and we'll see you then.